Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Volume. Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are going to be breaking down both conference final series in the NBA. But we're going to start with what we just saw. The Denver Nuggets taking a 3-0 lead on the Los Angeles Lakers. Logan, is this team looking like the clear title frontrunner to you right now? I think they are my title front runner at this point, Carson. I mean, uh, you can start with the unstoppable force uh, that is Nikola Jokic. And I honestly thought this was a pretty poor Nikola Jokic game for most of it, you know. Wasn't hitting shots early, but uh, comes up big in the fourth quarter, man. But you look at the total construction of this roster, Carson, I just think talent-wise, they have to be the favorite just because of how many – guys that they have that can get it done man Jokic who is I again I think the best player on planet earth we've talked about that time and time again just has an unstoppable combination of playmaking and scoring can score from everywhere on the court and when he's on man you have to double team the guy that's what makes him such a dangerous threat he's great out of those situations but I think the big thing in man then a big reason why we were big believers in the Nuggets before the playoffs started why we never wavered really in you know, having confidence in this team to have a chance of getting this done is you got a secondary guy like Jamal Murray. I mean, he's been elite. Now, I know he goes to sleep for two quarters in this game, but wow, man. I mean, at the drop of a hat, Jamal Murray is one shot away seeing it go through the hoop from turning it on, dude. Uh, 30, practically 30 in the first quarter, man. Getting it done from all three levels, out of the pick and roll, out of the mid-range, posting guys up, man. Getting a little floater going, tough shots. But I think it's also a part of just the tough shot making that everybody has on this roster from Jokic to Murray to MPJ to KCP to Bruce Brown. When there is a big shot to be hit in these big moments, I just trust the Nuggets to shoot it, right? Like, uh, for example, like late in this game, you know, LeBron uh, kicks it to Schroeder in the corner or something. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. It's not a great late game shot. I want LeBron going downhill. I want LeBron taking the shot or something. If that happens for the Nuggets late in games or at any point, I'm like, that's, 
it's a good shot. You just have so many capable shot makers down this roster. You have so many guys who are versatile. KCP and Bruce Brown are elite role players and great defenders. It's such a loaded, talented roster that works so cohesively together. Everybody does their job. And I think the biggest thing just is the shot making, man. I don't think any team left in this field, and I I feel stupid for not recognizing that from the start of these playoffs, Mm -hmm. I don't think any team has the caliber of shot making that this team does. And I don't mean just, oh, you know, we're getting catch and shoot threes. Jamal Murray can knock down the toughest of threes. Michael Porter Jr. can. You watch KCP in this game hit some big pull-up threes, man. There's just a different level of tough shot making that Denver has that has given them distinct advantages through these playoffs. I mean, I think that is what has propelled them through these playoffs more than anything else is the fact that they have so many capable guys of hitting tough shots and hitting big looks. And I don't, again, an open KCP three late, an open Bruce Brown three late, I'm not mad at. Those are good shots in the flow of this Nuggets offense. And so I think they're the most talented team probably left in the field with their caliber of star guys that I trust. And then I just think they have more shot makers, man, and they work cohesively together. They play great defense. And again, man, I think one of the biggest things is that the Nuggets did this all season long, Carson. They have the continuity edge mm-hmm. that we've touched on so long. Yeah, I <laughs> shocker. You know, <laughs> the number one seed, <laughs> the best team with the best player in the field is the title favorite at this point. Um, but I think it's all those things, man, and it's it's a cumulative force. This this team is a machine, dude, and Jokic leads this machine out. But it's a it's a sum of all its parts, man. This is a really great unit, and I, I do think they are my title favorite at this point. They are a machine. I mean, that's the perfect way to put it. They just hum and hum, and they are so much more consistently great than any other team that was ever in this field. And that's why I said before the Western Conference Finals that I thought they were the best team. The highs that we see from Boston and that we saw from L.A. in those first two rounds could be extremely impressive, but both teams were very susceptible to at times shooting themselves in the foot, to falling into their worst tendencies. And Denver always played up to expectations, and it's because they have the best offense in basketball. And there's the old adage, defense wins championships. Offense is going to win the championship this year, man, because they just do not stop coming. And you say it, this is an off first half from Jokic. He was not imposing himself at the highest level as a playmaker and his touch shot making, right? These little running floaters that normally are 70% shots for him, he's just missing. But when you have Jamal Murray, who you can turn to for 30 points, it's a completely game-changing dynamic. And I think you hit on a huge point. It is the level of pure shot making that elevates Jokic's value even further because he is capable of making any pass in the book, right? But when a guy is just going to dig in that little bit for help on Jokic out of the post and he can kick it right back out to KCP, who is going to make that shot against a closeout, like, yeah, there's a sliver of a window, but you got to be a good shooter to make that with a 40-plus percent clip, and that's what KCP does consistently. The handoffs for MPJ, the actions off screen for him. These are highly efficient looks, yes, because Jokic is creating great shots, but also because these are great shot makers. And I would be legitimately surprised if they don't win the title because I think this is a historically great offense, and it's in every phase. They are the number two transition offense in these playoffs in terms of efficiency, and we have seen them consistently 
take advantage of LA struggling to get back there. They have great rim runners in transition if it's Bruce Brown, if it's Aaron Gordon, and obviously they have a bunch of guys who can shoot the hell out of the ball, and Jokic is such an awesome transition point guard. They are the most efficient pick and roll offense in these playoffs, both in terms of the ball handler scoring and the roll man scoring, who is usually going to be Jokic. I think he gets credit for how great he is as a screener, for how killer he is from that floater range. Also, Jamal Murray deserves a ton of credit for how lethal he is as a pull-up jump shooter. They are the number two post-up offense in these playoffs in terms of efficiency because Jokic is the best post-scorer in the league. And it was so remarkable how many people were outraged when I said coming into this matchup that Anthony Davis is the best defensive player alive, but I don't really know that he can take away what Jokic does, right? Because as I've said so many times before, he is the best touch shot maker in the paint we have ever seen. He shot 66% on hooks this year, 69% on floaters, and there is no amount of length that can consistently take those shots away. I mean, 80s forced him to miss a couple more than usual in this series, but when push comes to shove, AD in single coverage against Jokic hasn't been their best option. Their best option has been using AD as that roamer in help because no one can cover him one-on-one, and in that stretch in the early fourth quarter where AD came out and they were playing small ball with Rui at the five, I mean, Jokic could have gotten a great shot every single possession because if you don't have that level of helper it's over it's over every single time and he's the best passing big man that we've ever seen and they are the most efficient three-point shooting team in these playoffs and one of the most impressive things they have the lowest turnover rate in these playoffs that's while they are playing this incredibly fluid style of offense with tons of ball movement with a lot of like audacious passes from Nikola Jokic with that willingness to push and transition where at times teams will get a little bit more fast and loose with the ball. You think about other teams who have that same level of like offensive fluidity, the Warriors would be the closest comparison. They do it differently, but that's always a team that has been prone to turning the ball over. The Nuggets don't even do that. Like offensively, they are pretty much flawless. And you got to give credit to KCP in this game for his big-time shot-making. You have to give credit to Bruce Brown for just how opportunistic he is. Again, transition ball handler as a guy running the floor in transition, as an offensive rebounder. They just create great looks on almost every possession, and I'm thrilled for this team. I'm thrilled for Nikola Jokic. I don't want to crown them, right, because job's not finished. They still have to win this series, and then they have to beat whoever comes out of the East, but... This is his first title caliber roster that Nikola Jokic has played with. I believe he's been the best offensive center that we've ever seen for the last three years. And I said that. said that in February 2021. I made a YouTube video about it. It was the first YouTube video that we made for the Nerd Sesh page. And people have consistently somehow denied that fact, largely because the guy doesn't have a ring. Like, genuinely. And the bubble team was good. But Jokic was not the player that he is today. That team did not have Aaron Gordon. That team did not have a 3 and D closeout attacker the caliber of KCP. That team did not have the kind of versatile impact guy that Bruce Brown is. MPJ was a shadow of what he's become. I mean, he was a baby at that point. And yet there's still this expectation that you've got to win the title now. Somehow you have to win the title to be the best player alive or you have to win the title to be an all-time great when Jokic was 26 and 27 years old for these seasons dealing with <laughs> out his second best player and then without his third best player as well last year. When the historical precedent tells us that that is an absurd way to judge these great players. If you want to malign people for sucking in the playoffs, that's one thing, right? Joel Embiid has got to get better. There are tangible things in his skill set that have to improve. 
But Jokic dominated every series he was in offensively. Dominated. And yet there was still this narrative that he was underachieving because his teams were at massive talent deficits. But nobody just walks into the league and wins a ring. Like the guys who have done it in their first few years, D-Wade, unbelievable run. Obviously, Kareem, who was just a different kind of freak, was the best player in the league from the moment that he stepped foot on an NBA floor. And also, he got Oscar to help out. But, like, MJ was 28, right? He didn't win a ring until he had star-level Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant and Phil Jackson, obviously. LeBron was 27. He didn't win a ring until he had not just the big three, but improved role players versus the 2011 team. And he grew individually in his game, obviously, improved as a jump shooter. But, you know, adding a Shane Battier and whatnot. The most recent guy to climb that ladder, Giannis, was 26 and needed the injection of that really high-level perimeter creator that was Drew Holiday. They don't win the ring without him. Like, guys don't just walk into championship situations, and it's impossible to win a ring without a title-caliber roster. And that is what the Nuggets have right now, and Jokic is capitalizing on that. He is the best player alive. He is one of the handful of best offensive players that we have ever seen. And they just look a step above the rest of the field right now. They really do. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, Magic won a ring in his rookie season, correct? He did. Well, he happened to have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but yes. Exactly. (laughs) He did. Not in game six. He didn't have Kareem then. But it is a historical rarity, I should say. A real historical rarity. And it would be like maligning LeBron for not winning a championship with those early Cleveland teams or something like that. And it's like... Which people did, of course, because this is the cycle. And it's stupid. It's very, very stupid. And now that he... This is the first time that he's ever had these guys at full strength. This is the first time he's ever had Jamal Murray at superstar level, at full health, with an actual tertiary guy who you can turn to for reliable offense. And the biggest thing, this is something that I want NBA teams to take notes on, Carson. You cannot undersell the value of a Contavious Caldwell-Pope and a Bruce Brown. They pick these guys up in the offseason. And, I mean, they're the biggest additions to this team. Like, Mm -hmm. they do not make it this far. Like, in the NBA today, it seems like there's teams that have gone – we're all about the superstars. You know, we get the big three in Miami. You get all these big super teams that are getting built. You get Philly with Harden and Embiid. You get Brooklyn with Harden, Kyrie, KD. And it's like, oh, let's get all this star power. Teams are built top to bottom, and you need these great role players. And you love them in the offseason. I mean, those are two of your favorite signings. You said this is going to put them over the top. This is going to legitimize this roster. You need these great role players. And I just think those are something, you need that cap space, obviously, and you obviously need two superstars. The Nuggets aren't getting this done without Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. But I, you can't undersell the value of having versatile Swiss Army knives really impact guys like that. And they're a huge part of this component uh, as well. I just, I don't want to understate that too, man. It takes a team to win a title. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take two guys. You need to build out an entire roster and... Denver made championship moves this offseason that have set them up for for this, where we're at. Unequivocally, and I'm pissed that I didn't go more all-in on this team. Like, I've picked them to win every series once we've gotten into this postseason, but I thought Phoenix could beat them with just the top-end talent that they had, and I picked Denver to win that series in seven right before it tipped off, and I picked them to win this series in seven right before it tipped off because I really did believe in LA's two-way ceiling and the power of AD and LeBron at the top and the secondary creation that we've seen from Reeves and that we had seen from D'Lo and the other impact role guys, Rui, 
I thought LA was really, really good, but this is showing us that consistent mm-hmm. greatness can be the deciding factor because, I mean, that's what you look at in all three of these series, in all of these games. Like, Phoenix could have games three and game four where Katie and Book are reaching unbelievable levels as pull-up jump shooters. But Denver is still right in those games because they just don't stop creating good shots. And there have been stretches in this one, in this series, where, all right, LA starts firing and they're super engaged defensively and their shot making is there. But never for four quarters at the level that we've seen from Denver. And never with the just variety of guys who are ready to step up that we have seen with Denver consistently. And I don't think it's just a variety of guys too, Carson. I think it's the variety of shots that this team can create on offense too. The dynamism that we get from all of these different guys, because I think that's the biggest thing. You talk about consistency. That's something that I've been mad about with Boston, right? We've seen these lulls from Boston Mm -hmm. consistently over these past few years that should have been red flags to me where I go, maybe I should hold off on Boston, right? But it's also like the dynamism of the offense like I'm talking about. That's also why Boston gets into these lulls. They produce two really high-quality shots. It's at the rim and it's three-point attempts. With the Nuggets, it's not like that. You can get a Jokic tough runner out of inverted pick and roll. You can get a Jamal floater in the mid-range. But once those shots start falling, right, and once the defense respects those shots and has to step up on them and take them away, guess what? There's open guys in the corners. There's just a versatility to along with the consistency and the like I said, the dynamism of the offense, the, it's the machine, man. It's, I, it's mm-hmm. not one thing. It's all the collective sum of all these parts. But that's what separates Denver from the pack is it's not just, oh, they shoot the ball really well. They can kill you from all over the court. They have all these different actions that they can run to create yep. great shots. And all of these guys on the court can kill you. It's, it's accumulative assets. And, yeah, man, right. I'm, I'm really disappointed. I know you are. Guys, Carson, there has been no bigger Denver Nuggets fanboy. There has been no bigger Nikola Jokic supporter outside of Carson Breber. And I'm honestly surprised too, dude, like that if there was going to be a year, it should have been this one. And I'm kind of kicking myself for not, mm-hmm. for not waking up to it either, man. Like the, that's what we said before the playoffs, the continuity, the consistency. We've seen it all year from Denver yep. and they got the best player on the planet, man. I'm disappointed that I took Phoenix because I feel like the writing was on the ball on the wall there a little bit. And it has clearly proven to matter. And you talk about the variety of shots that a team can create. Jamal Murray, man, he's just the epitome. He is one of the most versatile, skilled, pure shot makers alive. And we talked about this after last game where obviously you saw it. But just people don't kill you from everywhere on the floor and out of so many different actions like Jamal Murray does. Literally, he sees Dennis Schroeder and it's a post-up, and it'll hit that turnaround with near 50% efficiency. Coming out of pick and roll, he can kill you with the mid-range pull-up, he can kill you with the three-point pull-up. Any handoff, if you're under, if you're not up there with an active contest, bottoms. And it's just a special ability that he has to elevate his game accordingly because of unbridled confidence and because of... That unpredictability, that variety, that pure shot making. Like, guys who aren't great shot makers fall off in the playoffs. Trey Young, when he is struggling to get to the line as much as usual, he doesn't have that thing that he can consistently rely on. He is not a great shot maker, and so he can fade. Joel Embiid, we've seen, right? His jump shot leaves him consistently. He doesn't have enough counters, and the guy's going to take a significant drop off. 
Same thing for his buddy James Harden, who has always been heavily reliant on the same few kinds of shots, the step-back threes, getting to the free-throw line. And when those things leave him, you fade away. And that doesn't happen to Jamal. And that's not to say that he is great every single game, but he has definitely cut down on the, like, real off nights because a few years ago that bubble run he was amazing but he was prone to having his single digits games and there were still a few of those in this regular season these playoffs though man he has been pretty consistently great I mean he's dropping 28 a night on 41 percent from deep and I tweeted this today I thought he was going to get his sixth in this game but he already has five 40 point games in his playoff career Mm. he's been there three times Logan Dirk D Wade had seven each in their careers like Jamal Murray is asking for his respect, and somehow people are still denying it to him. Pure shot-making matters. And the two times that these guys have had even good rosters around them, Murray and Jokic, they have looked like they belong in the conversation for best duo on the planet. They are certainly better now than they were in 2020. Their supporting cast is certainly better. They've been to the conference finals both times, and now I think that they are the deserved title favorite. So, on the flip Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. You know, hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So, what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Side of this, L.A. goes down 3 nothing. What did you feel like went wrong for them? How are you feeling about this team, what you've seen? You know, I think the biggest thing was late-game execution. Um, the one in the third quarter, this team, I, I, you put it in the group chat, I mean, eloquently they had to win the non-Jokic minutes that's been a big key for any team playing Nikola Jokic this team is undersized 
outmanned. They don't have a go-to, you know, offensive guy if Jamal Murray's not out there. No, Jamal was, but they're just undersized. There's a lack of dynamism that isn't there when Jokic isn't out there. Like, you have to destroy the Nuggets in those non-Jokic minutes. You have to take the lead. And then I thought it was a misstep that, one, they don't win those minutes. When we go into the fourth quarter, there's not AD. You're still undersized. LeBron comes off the floor for a little bit. And in the in the second half as a, to- as a whole, I'm not playing D'Angelo Russell. The best lineup that this team has had is Roy Hachimura, Dennis Schroeder, Austin Reeves, LeBron, and Anthony Davis. I just thought it was foolish that this team didn't turn to that lineup in the second half and we kept getting D'Lo. Like, I, I thought it was all about late game, and I... God bless AD for keeping this team in the game and for being aggressive. This was not a great start for Anthony Davis, but he kept putting his head down. He kept being physical. He kept being aggressive because I was scared at the start of this game when he starts out 3 of 9 or 3 of 8, whatever the number was. It's like, uh-oh, man, this could be a bad AD game where he fades as the game goes along, but he didn't. He was persistent. He kept trying to get his own buckets, which that's the best version of AD. And then, again, Thankful for Austin Reeves to keep them in this game in the second quarter because it was all him keeping this team in this game. And so I'm like, okay, the Lakers have a chance. They have a chance in this game. But you don't win the non-Jokic minutes. And also, they get a very beneficial whistle, I thought, in the third quarter, man. Um, that fourth foul taking Jokic out of the mm-hmm. game, which was absolutely egregious. But you don't win the non-Jokic minutes. You Again, you should crush. You have all these big guys. That's why I didn't get put AD out there, put LeBron out there, and put Vando out there, and put Hachimura out there. We were going to crush that team on the glass, and we're going to go inside. They don't do that. Then when the second and when the fourth quarter opens up, LeBron goes to the bench for a little bit. AD's on the bench a little bit. It felt like the Lakers could steal this game. And then they didn't because their shot-making let them down. Like, the Nuggets emphatically shut the door on this game in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. because they have better shooters and better perimeter shot-makers. That's what it came down to. When LeBron didn't want to take the rock and go to the hole in the fourth, when AD didn't want to be physical and take the ball and go down there, when I wanted them to turn to their two stars, that's what you do. They kicked it to role players and they missed shots. The Nuggets' role players didn't. That's why they shut the door. I... I thought it was late-game execution. I thought it was a little passivity by LeBron and AD and them not absolutely torching non-Jokic minutes. Those were my biggest issues in this game. And then, of course, on the whole, you got to get more from D'Angelo Russell. If he's going to play that much, I mean, you got to hit shots, dude. Like, that's, that's big. But to me, this was a very winnable game for the Lakers late, and I thought it came down to some, some pretty poor execution in the second half. And it's not just the Nuggets' role players making shots. It's also Nikola Jokic stepping up and being consistently assertive mm-hmm. and we saw him again just attacking Rui and he starts making those touch shots and he has 15 points in the fourth and he creates some really good looks for his teammates too we never saw that sort of control of this game offensively from LeBron opposite him which I think remains a disappointment like LeBron's been okay I thought he actually got excessive criticism for game two because he obviously couldn't make a three and had a few blown finishes, but I thought he was good as a playmaker. I thought he was good defensively. This game, just very meh from him. And he walks into his 23-7-12, and but I wanted to see more LeBron post-ups. I thought we saw early in this game that was effective. They went away from that. And... uh, I think you absolutely highlight that key stretch when you're in the non-Jokic minutes late in the third. They let up back-to-back easy transition buckets. They, after tying the game up, actually capitalizing on non-Jokic for a little bit, but 
transition Bruce Brown stops the bleeding. You have a total mismatch with Aaron Gordon where he draws a foul. You get a look for MPJ from deep off a second chance. KCP steps into a big shot, and you basically play them to a draw. And that just can't happen. Jokic comes in, and he decisively takes advantage of the non-AD minutes. So just consistently, when it's come down to, all right, who's going to play their best basketball in these big moments and these decisive stretches, it's been the Denver Nuggets, and they've had the best player on the floor in those situations. Jamal Murray in the fourth quarter of Game 2 and Nikola Jokic in the majority of this series overall. I do think you have to look at two guys who have just been really unplayable for the Lakers in this series, and that is D'Angelo Russell and Jared (laughs) Vanderbilt. I think that Vando's offensive ineptitude, it's just not justified to play him as a starter. And he started the second half to only played 14 minutes. But when he is completely neglected, when he is fumbling catches and finishes and clanging wide open corner threes that are conceded to him and not really affecting Jamal Murray, because there's a level of shot making from him that is incredibly difficult to take away. But above all else, it's D'Angelo Russell. And I think we should have known a bit more that the bottom was going to fall out with him just because of the kind of offense that he had been creating through the first two series. Mm -hmm. Like he was really good in Lakers wins. He was a decently efficient 18 a night, but we also saw in losses. He was really bad. And overall in this run in Lakers losses, he's under nine points per game, 35% from the field, 21% from three. And it is just scary to have an offense that is reliant on D'Angelo Russell when he's going to pound the ball, he's going to play at his own tempo, he's going to love to get to those mid-range pull-ups, and there's going to be stretches where you're just like, why are we going to D'Lo instead of LeBron James, instead of trying to get good looks for Anthony Davis out of pick and roll? And when he's disengaged defensively, when he's making bad decisions, and when he also just can't make a shot, I mean, he was terrible. He was absolutely terrible, and the Lakers waste another awesome combined game from Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura. All three games, those guys have been fantastic. I mean, Reeves is shooting the hell out of the ball, but obviously is so gifted as a foul drawer. And, like, his foul baiting is annoying sometimes, but also his pace out of pick and roll, right, trapping guys on his back. He has a great ability to draw contact, to manufacture contact in a time at times in a way that he's going to get a call. But you also see him in this one, right, the ability to throw fakes and pivots and just try to get a guy jumping try to get a guy out of position making a mistake and when you combine that with legit good shot making and legit good playmaking you just have a dog man and that's what Austin Reeves is and Rui you know his shot making wasn't as good in this one but he runs the floor hard he's available as a cutter he's a good finisher he's shooting the hell out of the ball those guys have stepped up but Dennis Schroeder has not D'Lo has been bad Vando has been bad and Anthony Davis and LeBron James have not played at the level that would be necessary from them to win this series. They just haven't. I mean, AD was fine in this game. He did not dominate defensively like you hope to see from him, though, when he's reaching his maximum level of impact. And LeBron, again, just has never fully imposed himself on the game throughout this playoff run. And, hey, he's 38. He's coming off of a foot injury. All this can be true. The shooting slump. Maybe it's unfortunate timing for him, but it's been a reality basically this entire season. But I had a thought in the back of my mind that maybe he could turn into a top five player for a playoff run, and he simply has not for a moment, really. I mean, game six against the Warriors, I guess. No, I mean, that was the biggest swing factor in this series was what LeBron we got. Is he going to take over? I mean, again, I don't know if people remember, man, like, when LeBron was the best player in the world, when it was LeBron every possession, 
dictating, moving the ball, getting downhill. Like, yeah, I, I didn't see him again tonight, and it was disappointing, dude. I think you pointed out something big early on in this first quarter when he is posting up every single possession. It's like, I don't know how you get a bad shot out of a LeBron post up. I think they could run that every single possession, and I think you would get a good look. I don't know how you stop it. LeBron, the same way we talk about Jokic, when that help guy slides down, LeBron can pinpoint that pass immediately, and you can step into an easy shot. If you don't send help, guess what? LeBron's super strong. He's huge. He's got great touch. He's going to back a guy down and go to the rack, and it's just, no, we never saw him impose his will on the game, and I think that's the biggest, that's what we needed. You know, I mean, we can talk about the role players too, like the role players, stepped up in Reese and Hachimura, but you don't get great D'Lo. You don't get great Schroeder. You don't get great Vando. LeBron and AD also were mm-hmm. not great enough to get them over the hump in this uh, in this series. I, I want to ask you, I know a lot of people are going to have their opinions about uh, the Lakers season as a whole. I don't think this is a disappointment. I feel like a lot of people are going to come away and feel like the Lakers are fraudulent. They fooled us. They mm-hmm. got us. The refs helped them get here or some stupid narrative. I'm not disappointed at all. I'm disappointed that LeBron couldn't you know, I mean, he's 39, man. I can only be so disappointed, right? <laughs> like, I'm mad that LeBron couldn't turn back the clock and make it 2018 again, but I don't think this is a disappointment at all for the Lakers. Do you feel the same way? No, I think this is a huge success. They started the season 2-11. and They were terrible. I thought before the year that they were going to be a play-in team, and then I thought, boy, are they even going to reach that height? And ultimately, they screwed themselves two years ago with the Russell Westbrook trade because they gave away, clearly the two best players in that trade. Look at what KCP is doing to them right now. Kuz just had an awesome season in Washington and has continued to grow as a rebounder and as a playmaker and as a defensive player. So they have been working out of a deficit ever since then. They made some really good moves to improve this roster. There were matchups in which Vando and D'Lo were hugely beneficial. This just hasn't been the series. Getting Rui Hachimura for three seconds in a non-rotation guy in Kendrick Nunn was a huge win. That guy has been beyond a silver lining. He's been flat-out awesome. He has been great at his job. And you were able to revive Anthony Davis. Like, for most of the regular season and playoffs, AD was firmly a top-10 player. At times, a top-5 player he looked like when he was really dialed in offensively. After, for two years, he had been consistently unavailable, couldn't make a jump shot. So it is, beyond the shadow of a doubt, a win for the Lakers to be here. But, yeah, it was going to be tough for them to create a, like, title-winning roster out of what they started this year with. And I did think that they had moments where they looked like that. There was a moment where I thought, hey, this team could go out there and win the West and might deserve to be the favorite. Actually, for a lot of these playoffs, I thought they could win the West. But I think that this is a success for them overall. I do want to give just two more shout-outs to Denver because, first of all, I thought that this was an incredibly unique Michael Porter Jr. game and that he was yes, facilitating. He was, yeah. he was actually putting the ball on the floor, and there was that one moment where he had a look at a floater. And instead, he had a nice little bounce pass to Bruce Brown. And I thought, oh, my God, who is this man? Because nobody likes to shoot the ball upon touching it more than Michael Porter Jr. And that was a cool moment for him. And one last thing on the Nuggets. Listen, you called me a fanboy earlier, a Jokic fanboy. (laughs) I've been an advocate, okay? A firm advocate. But I don't think anything that I've ever said has been excessive 
has been based on mm-hmm. anything other than what I am seeing on the basketball court every night that this guy plays. And really the reality is that I was just pointing something out that for some reason everybody else has vehemently denied the reality that this guy is one of the greatest players we've ever seen, the greatest offensive big man ever. And I think what this entire run has exposed is how few people have even watched this guy. Like the way people talked about AD going to eat him alive because of the bubble. Lisa Salters, it's not her job to analyze the game, but this is an NBA TV personality who came out and said it was her first time seeing this guy. Like, it really opened my eyes to how little a lot of people are watching basketball and yet speaking about it with such confidence. And it's just... Nice to see this. It's nice to see the validation for what has been plain to see for so long if you were just watching. Yeah, no, you've been on the soapbox for a minute, bruh. <laughs> I've had to be because the things people have been saying are absolute lunacy. Like, this year was insane, and Yoke's just doing what he does, and he's proving them wrong. 30, 13, and 10 on 63% true shooting in this run for Jokic, Logan. And the Nuggets, I believe, currently have a better offensive rating in this postseason than any NBA champion ever. It is special stuff. And they deserve a lot of props. But the other team that deserves a lot of props, Logan, is the Miami Heat. Up 2-0, taking both games on the road. What was your reaction to Miami taking another one in Boston, and what's your read on that series right now? You know, um, nine teams, Carson, I don't know who said this. I saw this, that nine teams have trailed 2-0 in a series during a run and come back to win the NBA Finals. Only one, the 1994 Houston Rockets, dropped the first two at home and came back to win. Uh, they actually did that in the Finals themselves. Um, and the Heat are 6-0 at home in these playoffs. I mean, it's going to be a pretty tall task for the Celtics to steal one uh, there, but they've got to steal them both. I mean, you have to take back control in this series. And I know a lot of people are tired of the media and us looking at these games in a Boston-centric lens, right? Not looking at this and praising Miami for all the things they've done, but it's really the same old story. I mean, I don't really think it's any different from what we've seen from Boston throughout these playoffs. I'm disappointed in Boston's late-game execution and their cumulative defense. They just lack an intensity They lack an edge. They lack discipline. Uh, This team just lacks nuance. Like, there's just... There's no no direction at points. In the hustle category, they get bodied again. They get out-rebounded 45-35 to in this game. They get out-rebounded 14-4 to in the fourth. And you just see it throughout this game. Uh, They're letting themselves get beat on backdoor cuts. I mean, Derek White was falling asleep a couple of times this game. Not being physical enough. He threw some stupid doubles at guys. Um, just not following your man on defense, not being physical enough with these ball handlers. That's something that we emphasized in the Knicks series is that Randall and Barrett were not being physical enough with Max Struess, with Gabe Vincent. Again, look, man, I love Max Struess. I love Gabe Vincent. I think they are awesome role players in the NBA, but they are not elite ball handlers who should be getting downhill at will, and they're just getting free drives into the paint. Boston, play physical. Dictate these guys on defense. It's like any time that Boston gets a 10-point lead, a 5-point lead. It's like, uh-oh, let's shift into neutral here and just kind of let let it go. Oh, we got this game. Oh, we got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. We can take our foot off the pedal. It, It's consistent. We have consistently seen them disengage. Like, you got careless turnovers. They're averaging 15 a game 
uh, through two games here. And again, I talk about late game execution. They just have to be better in the clutch. The Heat closed this game on a 22-9 run. Uh, this is a stat that's been trending all around. The Celtics in the clutch in this series, 8 points on 1 of 9 shooting, 0 of 6 from deep with 5 turnovers. They're negative 13. And the Heat, guess what, buddy? Plus 20.1 net rating in the fourth quarter in these playoffs. The Heat have been great. This is what they do. They have an offensive rating of nearly 118 and a defensive rating of 97.7. And again, man, you just... Boston has to close these games out. They're up by nine with seven minutes left. They're up by four with three minutes left. You got bad turnovers. You're letting up offensive rebounds. Last game, it's Jason Tatum traveling on back-to-back possessions. This game, you get the Jalen Brown travel. You get the Marcus Smart fumble. You get the Tatum charge. And there's four other times late in this game where there's a deflection or that almost turns into a loose ball. Like, dude, I thought the Celtics were lucky they didn't have three or four more turnovers down the stretch. Like, the Heat were getting into all these passing lanes. Like, that's just not enough to beat this Heat culture. I know that people are tired of hearing these numbers. They're number one in loose balls recovered. They're number one in deflections. They're number one in hustle. This is how the Heat win games. And Boston is continually being soft and not not being physical enough. Uh, Point blank. They also have to shoot better. The Caesar shooting 31% from deep in the first two games. Brown is 2 of 13. Al Horford is 1 of 8. It's the same old story. This time it's a little different because you have the Michelin man, Grant Williams, get all up in Jimmy Butler's mouth. I can't tell you how happy I was. I have been <laughs> the king of Grant Williams slander. So, <laughs> to me, uh, that was a joy. But I, I do want to address a couple of things with that. What? It's like Grant... Who do you think you are, man? It's Jimmy Butler. Dude, it's like, you're a role player, Grant. Dog, this is not your, you're stepping out of your element, my friend. It's like, it's not hard, dude. You hit a catch and shoot open three and he gets all up in his mouth. Like, I don't know, man. You have to have some self-awareness there in that moment. I don't think that really dictated or changed the momentum or the flow of the game. Like, this is just what Boston does in the clutch. This is just what Miami does in the clutch. But there's a lack of self-awareness there that cracks me up. I do think, though, man, late in this game, you get like four or five straight possessions with Grant Williams on Jimmy Butler. And I heard, I think it was Stan Van Gundy, I think Stan called Grant Williams a great defender, and I'm like, Hold your horses there, Stan. I don't know about great (laughs) defender. Yeah, like he can definitely guard guys. He can stand there. I think that's a little um, overzealous, but I don't get why you're putting Grant on Jimmy. Give me Tatum. Give me JB. Give me somebody who's just going to be a better matchup. So, look, man, big credit to Caleb Martin in this game. He did a lot of great little things. He did uh, shot the hell out of the ball, attacking closeouts, being physical, getting downhill. Big credit to Bam Adebayo. Uh, great, I thought, a passing clinic in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, being aggressive in the mid-range when they gave him shots. Big credit to Jimmy Butler for doing his thing, but the Celtics can't hit open shots. They got completely out-hustled again. Missoula gets utterly out-coached again. Let me not burn a timeout. Let me uh, let the Heat go on a little run here. The Celtics can't operate down the stretch, and their defense was soft as hell again tonight. I Again, I know people are tired of us looking at this from the Boston-centric lens, but I think that's where you have to start with it because they have consistently let us down throughout these playoffs when I know that they can be better than this. I know that their ceiling is better than this suggests, but they certainly haven't shown it, and they have consistently done this in playoffs previous, and they once again have done it in these playoffs. 
I feel bad for Celtics fans, man. I mean, you could not have had, Carson, these playoffs handed to you on a bigger silver platter. The number one seed, Milwaukee Bucks, get eliminated by Jimmy in the first round. In that first round, the Heat lose two critical players that we thought were going to be really important to the Heat making a deep playoff run. They lose Victor Oladipo. They lose their second leading scorer and playmaker and perimeter initiator and Tyler Hero. Like, this is... You couldn't have, before these playoffs started, you couldn't have painted an easier path to the finals for Boston. And yet again, here we are being let down. I'm just, I'm pissed, man. I'm, I'm pissed at the Celtics. I'm really, I'm really disappointed because I know they're better than this, man. But they're showing me that they're not. I think there's very much a duality to this, which is that both teams are being the most themselves they could be. Like, yeah, Boston is failing in the areas that are prone to killing them. You mentioned how terrible the execution late in this one was, and it's a lack of offensive direction. You have just like a discipline mistake, Horford fouling on that offensive rebound attempt. You just hand Max Strews free throws. Tatum starts heavily relying on the three ball. All these things do come together, but it's also the Heat doing Heat stuff, and they continue to out-execute Boston. They continue to trounce them in the effort categories, plus five on the offensive glass in this one, five fewer turnovers, just consistently sharper. We saw Spo rattle them with that zone and the inconsistency of whatever look they were getting. The second quarter and the fourth quarter was where they really ramped up that zone, did not run it much at all in the first or third quarters, and the Heat have a plus 19 point differential in those two quarters. And I thought that we saw them give Jason Tatum some trouble with a lot of the traps they were throwing. And sometimes he handled them well and was able to get a hockey assist, get it out to a short roller who could swing into the corner or just kick it to a shooter who would step into a three. But it wasn't great offense. And he was liable to make mistakes facing those coverages. But bottom line, you have to give credit to the number of guys who can step up in any game for the Miami Heat. Caleb Martin has been so good in this run. Like, over 12 a night on 40% from deep, 75% on twos. And that's been one thing that has really stood out to me, is some of his finishing in traffic in this playoff run has been sensational. He's over 77% inside of five feet in these playoffs. That's versus 63% in the regular season while he's shooting the hell out of the ball and is constantly making... Hustle plays, I mean, three offensive boards in this one, high IQ plays, offensively cutting, like just an all-around winning impact player who gets neglected, who maybe gets pushed to the side in situations other than Miami where he is now thriving. Duncan Robinson coming off of left bench for two years. I mean, legitimately mattered in this game again and the ability that they have to just create a look for him out of handoffs, out of an off-ball screen, or for him to attack an overplay and get a great cut. Bam had two beautiful finds to him as a cutter in this game, and he just knocks down two threes early in the fourth quarter that starts to shift the tide in this one. And then obviously you have Jimmy and Bam who have just been awesome. No one can guard Jimmy. He just gets where he wants, dude. He has a level of physicality, of efficiency, of movement, of purpose, And the pull-up jump shooting that we're seeing from him in this run for mid-range in particular 
I mean, again, the bigs have to play off of him too far, so they're conceding that look. If it's a Derek White on him, he just can't quite hang physically in that matchup. Jimmy's going to get downhill as a driver. He can shoot over him. Grant, you know, Grant defended him fine, but Jimmy's just taking the bump and he's hitting a shot right in his mouth. So I think they have to try more Tatum, right? And there were a couple possessions where they were matched up and then Jimmy just goes and he hunts a switch anyway and he gets Brogdon on him or whoever. But, man, it feels like there's nobody who can really guard Jimmy Butler. I mean, Drew couldn't really guard him. You think the option has to be really big wing who can maybe affect him with his length? But I don't know, dude. Jimmy is just dominating offensively and defensively, dude. He has 11 stocks through two games in this series. And we talked about him playing free safety in... Game one, but again, just such great anticipation as a defensive playmaker. A couple of awesome blocks in this game. One closing out on a shooter. Like, his effort just doesn't ever quit. His ability to get to his spots just doesn't ever fade away. And he's so, so impressive. And you got to give a huge shout out to Bam because he dominated the glass in this one. His playmaking out of the high post, out of handoffs, just was sensational and the Celtics don't really want to help on Bam. I think part of that is maybe they think, okay, we'll let him live with his one-on-one -on -one looks, but also he will dissect you as a playmaker. And he's been aggressive in single coverage. And it's not that he's a great one-on-one -on -one scorer, like a Bam mid-range look. It's still not great offense. I mean, I think he's in the high 30s for mid-range in these playoffs. But the floaters, the mid-range game, he can get going there. He was being aggressive trying to get the angle on guys if it was Horford if it was Grant Williams guarding him in this game get a look at the rim and he's just been really good and I think he's an interesting example of how we evaluate players because 2020 after the bubble run it was like everybody kind of agreed yeah Bam's a top 15 player because he's one of the three to five best defensive players alive he's one of the three best playmaking bigs alive and he is a more than capable scorer with some legit offensive skill and then the Heat miss. Well, they lose in the first round to the Bucs, and then last year they make the Eastern Conference Finals run. But it's just like that. He completely falls out of that conversation because they're not as good of a team. And Bam, I think, is better now than he was in 2020. So I don't know exactly where he falls in that hierarchy, but the dude is playing some great basketball right now. And I think in some ways when we talk about the talent deficit this team is at, we can understate how important Bam is, how good Bam is, and yeah, he's not going to consistently always be a great option offensively, but in this playoff run, in this season overall, he has filled that role more regularly. It is remarkable, though, that this is just an entirely different basketball team, bro. I mean, this was the number 25 regular season offense, and obviously Jimmy kicks it up a gear, but the level that we're seeing from these role players is so impressive, and... Tatum is just being outplayed by Jimmy, obviously. His issues in the clutch are remarkable. Like you said, dude, you talk about the other potential turnovers. Bro lost the ball twice on the same possession. Like, it's humiliating. Jalen in this one just was getting into that painted area but couldn't finish, didn't have his touch shot making. I thought was out of control at times. Tatum has the five turnovers. Al Horford has just been bad. I mean, one of eight from three in two games, and just not holding the Heat accountable for playing that zone, for parking Bam in the paint. This has been the worst basketball that we've seen from him in some time, I think. And so all these things come together, and then you think about their reliance on the three ball, where it is pull-up threes, one-pass threes, transition they love their threes. And I don't want to totally criticize that because they're one of the best shooting teams in the league, but through two games, when they're not shooting the ball very well, they can be overly reliant on that and lacking another counter, and it can kill them. So... Miami, 
I'm sorry again. I picked Boston to win in six. I don't think Boston is going to win this series right now. I'm not going to say that it's impossible, right? If they max out the drive and kick game, if we get awesome Tatum, I mean, if the overall shooting trends swing in their favor, but they're going to keep getting out coached. They're going to keep being the less disciplined team. They're going to keep making more mistakes and having inferior effort. And I think Jimmy's going to stay the best player on the floor. So those are all the key ingredients. And it turns out that that's more than enough to make up for the talent deficit that they're facing. And dude, on the threes point, I'm with you, uh, my friend. I I am with you. I I would not take the Celtics to win this series right now. Momentum is a very real thing in sports. And it just seems like where we're trending. Like I don't get how the Celtics recapture the energy and momentum that they need to come back and win this series. The thing about them settling for three is too, dude, there's just a different level of offensive stagnation that Boston suffers. And especially in that zone too, man, it's like against the Knicks where if Boston gets a shed of daylight on a three after one pass or early in the shot clock, they're going to fire it up. That's what the heat want to do. First, they want to get out and run, but two, they're more than okay with that because again, missed threes lead to easy transition opportunities There's just, again, I I talked about this last show, there's a directionless aspect to the Celtics offense Uh that really frustrates me. Miami leads also the NBA in these playoffs with, I mean, drastically more screen assist points, too. That's something that I really like about these little role players, too. Struess, Vincent, Robinson. Like, you'll notice Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, if you watch these guys off-ball, they're not great off-ball players yet. When they don't have the Uh ball in their hands... They can just kind of stand around and ball watch a lot. That's what, honestly, a lot of Boston guys do. D. White, Brogdon, Smart, a lot of them are prone to, oh, yeah, I wonder what he's going to do with the ball. All (laughs) of these Miami guys, it's never like that. Struess will come up and set a screen. Vincent will. Duncan, there's just a different, I don't know if it's an ego thing. I don't know if it's a discipline thing with the coaching where Missoula's like, we're okay with just spreading the floor out and letting our guys Mm -hmm. attack in isolation. But there's a... Very, very real lack of dynamism with the Celtics offense that isn't here with Miami. Partially because Miami has to play like this. That is what Mm -hmm. makes it more frustrating than anything else. Miami has to do all of these little things throughout the game to win. All of the little hustle plays, all of the little screens that they set that open up something 10 seconds later in the shot clock. It's like they have to do all these things, and they have. It's... It's frustrating to see such a talent disparity go to waste and Boston not execute on it. I do want to touch on one more big thing. After last game, I said that I thought the Celtics should turn to less Robert Williams, and I honestly think I'm going to flip that take on its head, dude. I At this point, I really wonder if they should even have Al Horford out there like at all, man. I mean, mm-hmm. I, he continues to struggle. You touched on some of it, bro. Like, in these playoffs, he's 6-7-3 and three on 37-29 splits with the 28% off the catch. He's Get this, man. This is my favorite number from these playoffs. Al Horford is averaging .69 points per possession as a roll, man. That's in the 4.5 percentile of all players in these playoffs. And the issue, too, is that Horford's a guy that likes to run drop. He doesn't like to switch onto the perimeter on guys. So he's, again, conceding a lot of these pull-up shots, a lot of these mid-range shots. Like, I thought this was a much better game from Robert Williams, if I'm being honest. Now, that's the one advantage that Horford does have is that you are going to get – you should have a little more spacing where Bam is going to stay attached to him in the corner. But, again, Horford's not making the pay. Like, Bam's down there more in the paint when Rob is out there. But 
I don't think it's that big of a difference. You saw a lot in this game, the high pick and roll with Robert Williams forcing that switch on to Bam. That's why I think you can play Rob. If you run that high pick and roll, you get Bam to switch out to the perimeter. You've got a mismatch on the inside with Robert Williams and a much smaller guy. Rob has been great at finishing in these playoffs, and I think that's something that he can take advantage of. And he had some big-time defensive uh, like playmaking spurts here, too. A couple big blocks on Jimmy Butler. He has a steal. Now, there are a few lapses where he doesn't step up on a guy, but I thought he was a lot more willing to step out on the perimeter and challenge shots, too. So I don't know what you do because I do think you need both of these guys for rebounding, right? The Celtics still get crushed on the boards. But look, man, this is courtesy of uh, one of the Heat guys on Twitter, uh, John Jablanca. Just Robert Williams and no Horford in this game. 19 minutes, the Celtics are plus 13 in those minutes. They score 54 points on 37 possessions. Like, I just don't like having this big of an offensive liability on the floor, man. Al Horford has quite literally been a zero on these playoffs. And, again, there's, there's advantages to all these different lineups. There's pros and cons, but Robert's a better defender. He's a more willing, switchable guy. Horford is going to run more drop. I don't really see many advantages to having him out there, man. And Rob, Rob impressed me in this game. He played a lot better than he did in game one. And so I wonder if that's an adjustment they should look to, man. I'm, I'm really disappointed, dude. I mean, if Al Horford makes, Al Horford could genuinely be swinging games. That's how bad he's mm -hmm. shooting in this, in these playoffs. Like the Celtics certainly could have won a few more games if he was just knocking down shots. But I think that's something they should explore, man. A little more Rob, a little less Al. Maybe even, and I cannot believe I'm saying this considering my track record, maybe play Grant. Maybe play more Grant Williams instead of Al Horford, man. I don't nah, know, dude. I'm, nah. Grant played I'm, a lot, dude. He What, like 26 minutes in this yeah. game? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. Al's got to shoot the ball better. He has been a complete and utter zero in two minutes. Like, when he rolls to the rack, if it's not a clean paint, he's just kicking it back out and resetting the offense, man. He's just a zero, and Horford's got to be better, man. He's been a massive, massive letdown in these playoffs. I thought, actually, Rob Williams played well in Game 1. I just thought it was such an unfortunate matchup for him because of his inability to space the floor that Horford was going to be the better counter to Bam being parked in the paint. But yeah, if Horford can't make a shot, then at, give me the better role, man. Give me the better finisher, which is what Rob Williams is. They're in trouble, dude, and they are on the verge of a real kumbaya moment, a real moment of reflection where you have to wonder, all right, does this Tatum-Brown pairing work? And I think that that legitimately makes sense because when you've built a team around these two wings who are going to dictate your late-game offense, who are not great playmakers, who can become reliant on the perimeter jump shooting, which they're not great at. Neither of them are great pull-up jump shooters consistently. I mean, they're the most talented team in the league. You said it's Denver. It's not. Denver's the best team in the league. Boston is the most talented team in the league. They put a great guard core around these guys. The bigs aren't... Horford's been bad, but, you know, he's had some really good moments in this season still. He did a great job on Embiid, obviously. They should be winning titles based on talent if these seers were played on paper, but they're not going to, and that's a conversation we can have if things turn a little bit further south even. But the last thing I just want to say is anybody over these last few days who has tweeted about how the NBA is going to hate a Nuggets Heat Finals and the ratings are going to be terrible and Adam Silver do something, why do you care at all? Like, I cannot believe how many people are talking about this. Like, bro, do you think that you're a Disney exec? Are you working for Nielsen? What do you care? The league is going to be fine. 
This isn't 1980. They're not on tape delay. They don't need Magic and Larry to come in. Shut up. Enjoy good basketball. Do you enjoy good basketball? Because the Heat and the Nuggets are playing the best basketball in the league right now. They have awesome players who deserve to be rewarded with opportunities like this. They are the most consistently dialed in, the most consistently good teams in the field. And I really, really don't care if somebody who doesn't like basketball that much but is a LeBron super fan or whatever is watching. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I don't know about you. I mean, I'm pretty fired up at the prospect of a Miami-Denver matchup. I am fired up. Of course I'm fired up because I love basketball. I don't love TV ratings. I don't love numbers. It's weird. And a lot of you guys are really freaking me out with how much you will talk about anything other than great basketball players who aren't LeBron James or a member of the Boston Celtics. All right. On that note, we're done here. Game three, Miami-Boston coming up. Do or die spot for Boston and Nuggets-Lakers, I think, is over. The Lakers very well might take game four, but you're not coming back from 3 nothing down against a team that is flat out better than you and has home court. So... If you guys enjoyed this one, the good news is you can find our shows on YouTube, on the Volume YouTube page. You can also listen to the podcast across all audio platforms. You can find us on social media, TikTok at NerdSesh. That's where we're most most consistent. We do a lot of trivia there. You can also find us on Instagram, same handle, and Twitter at Nerd underscore Session. If you want to just talk basketball with us, you can join our Discord. That is at the link tree in any of our bios across social media. So with that, as always, appreciate you guys. Hope you've been enjoying the basketball because we sure have. I've been Carson Brabber. And this was Nerd Sesh. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.